0: Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners, and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James, and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I am joined by the man who is the fastest growing business personality in the history of social media. He's also been referenced as one of the top 50 wealthiest under 50, Um, and more than anything, I really believe that he's a true gentleman. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that uh, throughout this interview, I'm sure. So, um, Ed Milet, welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Nick, great to be with you again, brother. Always an honor, always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, and I wanna start off actually by just diving a little bit deeper into why I said in the introduction Um, A real true gentleman, because, um, of course, those that listen to the podcast and and have been to my events and my trainings will know that Ed was due to make an appearance at our Expert Empires event in March 2020. Um, Of course, a little thing called COVID happened. um, And look, you know, I, I suppose I could summarize my experience of that event. It was an incredibly challenging time for me and for my business. But when this crisis, this global pandemic showed up, what I can truly say from the bottom of my heart is this man showed up as well and was incredibly supportive and, um, you know, made it happen, like found a way for us to still serve and deliver an amazing event. So I'm forever grateful to him for that. So uh, thanks again, Ed. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you for saying that. I have to tell you, And I'm not just saying this, I learned a lot from you over that three, four week window of time. And I'm going to share with the audience about you. Forget me for a minute. You're an unbelievably resourceful, resilient, man. I mean, you guys, the conditions that were thrown at you, most people are just throwing their hands up there. You found a way to somehow pull that all off and still get a W out of, it, or at least minimize the damage from it. And I watched up close an entrepreneur pivot, adjust, you know, uh, read the room a little bit like you did. It was really remarkable because you just refused to lose. And I'm not saying that just because we're on the show today. I've thought about that a lot because I speak, I have different businesses and I've reflected on like, you just willed it to happen. You made it somehow work. And that's what everybody's going to take a lesson out of this page. Like I think going forward, you know, it looks like maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but there'll be something else. There'll be another pandemic. There'll be a a global economic issue happened. There could be a, you know, God forbid, a terrorist attack. There could just be things happen in life and in our own lives, things happen. Your ability to be resourceful and resilient and pivot and adjust and correct and just will things to happen, like I watched you do, is one of the big keys. And that's why you're where you're at.
0: Yeah, well, well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. And I'll also hold my hands up and say, I also didn't get it right every single time I made a call during that period. Um, But like you say, learned, adjusted, tried to make the best of a bad situation. We moved the event from physical to virtual at 48 hours notice with no studio, no tech setup. And you know what? Was it perfect? No. I'd like to think we did a pretty damn good job. And again, you know,
1: I'm really grateful. Hey, I to- still may be there had I come live. <laughs> I mean, within a day or two of me deciding, hey, we need to do this virtual, they shut all the travel back down, coming back here. So, who the heck knows? I might be part of your family by now.
0: Which, which I was going to say, might not. I'm not sure how your family would have felt about that, <laughs> but I think the UK would have been incredibly grateful.
1: Might for have been a good extended,
0: experience your extended stay. So, um, li- listen. I mean, I said it in the intro. You've inchi- you've achieved uh, an incredible amount throughout your career. What would you say is your biggest achievement?
1: Uh, I'm going to give you the obvious one, but it's true. Just because older I get, like you said that, you know, wealthiest under 50, I got one more month to enjoy that because I'm 50 this month in April, but um, next month in (laughs) April. I'd say my family, brother. Um, I'm really proud of my children. And, uh, you know, look, I want everybody to have material things. I, I can't stand when a rich dude goes, ah, it's not all it's cracked up to be. You talk about stealing the dream, you know, like, I think material things are wonderful. Like I, that jet right there. That's my old jet. I just got a global express, but the one in the background here, I'm happy on that thing. Don't get me wrong. Right. I like, I like having a nice suit on as opposed to a cheap suit. I I've been happy, poor, and I've been happy, rich, happy, rich is better every day of the <laughs> week. Right. But those things don't fulfill you. So there's no. a difference between happiness and fulfillment. So what fulfills me is my family. And luckily I never lost sight of that or very rarely lost sight of that as I was building my, whatever you want to call empire or businesses or whatever is um, because that's what endures, you know, is is that time. In fact, my son's back from college right now. When we're done with this, I have one more show to do today and then I'm gonna spend the day with my son. That's, that's a blessing for me. And I've watched you with yours too. And it's just, uh, that's my biggest achievement. No question about it.
0: So, so let's, um. I wasn't planning on going this route here, but let's yeah. dive into this because actually, I mean, I've got incredible respect for you, of course, you. as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, but yeah. also from you know, we don't know each other that well, but for from yeah. what I've seen of you as a father and and, and a family man, like I've got an incredible respect for you in that in that regard as well. Yeah. Um, I guess because your son, I know because you shared this story uh, at our event, your son has had this incredible, um, you know, despite the fact that he's still um, relatively young, he's had this incredible life and this incredible career. And I'm a keen golfer as well. And yeah. and and what I wanted to ask you, because I'm big into sports, so my kids. My boys are eight and 11. Mm-hmm. I always battle with the balance between, look, I want the best for them, of course. Yeah. That's natural. But I don't want to be that guy, that pushy parent, that one who's trying to force them for his own, you know, for my own significance or for my own self, self, you know, sense of achievement. So like, how do you find that balance as a dad, as a parent? I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening to this. Like, how do you do that?
1: Boy, you talk about the struggle of being a parent. How hard do I push? Do I be that crazy dad at the games? You know, Tiger Woods, you, you read, learn more about Tiger with his documentary. It's like, okay, is that what you got to do to produce these great athletes? So for me, I always balance that. I'm so intense, man. I want to win so bad. I want, you know, I, I say to my son often, I say, fun isn't as fun as winning is fun, right? Like winning is more fun than fun is fun. So for me, I actually probably trended on the other side where I was more like, you know, daddy's going to love you, whether you finished first or last. There became a point though, where I took that to such an extreme that I think my son was enjoying losing too much. And you and I have talked about that. So here's how I would explain it to you. I just interviewed a guy named Michael Chandler. He's a top lightweight in the UFC. He's a good friend of mine. He's probably going to be the lightweight champion of the USC eventually, I think. Um, Anyway. And he said to him, he said to me, he goes, what's changed with me is when I go into the cage. Now I say, no matter what happens in here, I love me. My family loves me and God loves me. And that gives me the peace and comfort to go dominate and dispense some pain on some people. Right. That contradiction (laughs) is really interesting. And I think for me, it's me, It's me telling my son, I want you to go dispense justice on this golf course. But when this thing's done, I love you, God loves you, and you got to love you. And so I think that's the balance. I want to build up his identity. The 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 best athletes that I coach, you know I coach a lot of athletes privately. What do they really have over the other athletes? Some of them are more physically gifted, but actually they outwork the other people. But the other thing they have is an internal self-confidence that's superior to other athletes. It's an internal confidence where they just believe it. And I think that confidence is something you can rob from your children if you push them too hard, if you're too critical of them, even though they may go work harder because you're pushing them, you robbed them of that secret ingredient, which is the self-confidence. So I'm constantly trying to build up Max's self-confidence as I challenge him to do better. So that's sort of the nuance for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, by the way, I don't even know if you know this about me, but I count um, I myself very lucky. I, I went to um, a Tony Robbins seminar when I was 12 years of age. Wow. So my my mum kind of yeah. got me into this kind of whole personal development world okay. at a very young age. And you know, I'm forever grateful for that. And I do think it has given me a significant advantage for mm-hmm. sure in my in my life, in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like how do you think you can encourage not just sporting achievement or academic achievement? How do you think you can encourage kids, young people to to, I suppose. Be open to invest their time and their their focus in developing mindset as much as skill set. Because I think skill set is you know your son um, on the journey to be you know a, a college golfer and um, I don't know what his future holds. Whether he'll you know become uh, take that to the next level, become professional. But but a lot of focus goes on skill set. So how do you encourage? I was given an opportunity when I was twelve. Yeah. Um and I took it but how do you encourage that because I I've, I've also battled with that it's like I want my kids to work hard to develop their skill set and their mindset how do how do you encourage that
1: Yeah I'm I overdose on mindset over skill set with kids and so by the way I think all these things apply in leading people in business too I just believe not the skill set part, because I think you got to be able to execute in your business, but I'm talking about this idea of infusing self-confidence and creating a space where people feel like they can make mistakes. I think it's a big part of being a business leader. You can make mistakes around me as long as your intentions are good. And as long as you own them and you apologize for them, you truly are remorseful when you make an error, you want to correct it. So I'm a huge mindset guy. Um, I here's what I think. I think skills are becoming less and less important. Let me explain to you what I mean. I don't mean closing skills. That's a unique skill. But information is a dime a dozen now. You can Google about anything. 30 years ago, the person with the most information won. Now it's the person who can execute, which is a skill, closing, sales, persuasion. Those are skills and mindset, the mental part of the game. And what I would say to everybody who's got a child who may want to just hear this for a minute, pick your hero, pick your kid's hero. Like one of my son's heroes was Kobe Bryant. And I said, was Kobe that much physically more gifted, Max, than the other 40 best players in the NBA? Is... You know, is Tom Brady more physically gifted than all the other quarterbacks in the world? Not even close. What made him that? His mindset. And so typically the way you get through to your kids is have them pick their heroes. If their favorite singer is, I'm making it up, Taylor Swift, um, you know, whoever your kids, I'm dating myself, but you know, if it's Taylor Swift, is she really the best vocalist? Is she the most skilled singer, right? You can watch people on The Voice or these singing shows The UK's got talent or whatever the heck it's called. You're just as good a voice as her better. So what separates her? It's her mindset. It's her confidence. It's her work ethic. Those are the things that make people great. You got to have skills to get in the building. But once you're in the building, the separator is your work ethic and your mindset, your confidence, those different things. So I just link it to their heroes.
0: So how did did you develop that in yourself? What was your first exposure to really the study of the mind and of success
1: two things Tony Robbins so we are all somehow I love Tony we're all somehow descendants of the Tony Robbins tree this,
0: this will be interesting when when were you in that world because it'd
1: be super cool if we were actually at the same event like I don't before. know that I, I don't know that we were because I'm older than you but I was uh, I think my first Tony Rob I listened to I got the personal power tapes in high school. So that's like, I'm way older than you. That's what, like what late led, 80s.
0: Let, let's dig into this. What led you to get the personal power tapes when you were in high school? That's not normal. I don't think. Yeah.
1: Uh, the infomercials that were on every single night and me being up as an unconfident, insecure, shy, introverted, small uh, boy with an alcoholic dad. And I wanted to find out how do these people learn how to be so confident? Cause I have none. Like I lack all of it. And I was in my, maybe I wasn't, but I thought I'm the least confident, most shy, most introverted person at our school. And so I was like, I got to get, I saved the money and saved the money and saved the money. And I finally got a set of them. I remember being so broke, I was scouring different places to find like used sets of his personal power too, you know? And that led to finally getting a credit card and going to his event on a credit card, like, like putting three cards in for the 495 bucks. And so it was that. And then in college, a huge blessing happened. I, got, I was a good college baseball player. I got injured, had a tumor on my right leg. That's a other story. I had to sit out the year. And we had like a graduate student guy who was into the reticular activating system. And it was, his, it was what he was mastering in, in mindset and visualization. And so it was just a dude, but like, he's like, Ed, why don't we take the whole season and do specific visualizations, like very, very specific. And he started teaching me all these mental visualization techniques that most people don't even know to this day. And it made me a 10 times better baseball player. So between what happened in college baseball and my introduction to Tony Robbins, and then the last part of it is, um, I just kind of like many people listen to this, it felt like home to me to grow me. Like these things, I'm more passionate about this topic right here than probably anything in life is human beings' ability to change. And that's why I do what I do now. I took those things. I went out and applied them in the real world, built businesses and built people and then started coaching athletes and entertainers and top performers for years. And then finally, at Tony's encouraging years later, he's like, you need to do this, man. Like you can articulate. You're the best speaker I've ever heard in my life. You know, you you know all this stuff, you've applied it. There's not that many people in the space who have actually done it, come do this. And so ironically, the dude who I started listening to first was the dude who told me to come do it myself many years later.
0: Amazing, and, and I, I just want to pick up, like, I do think the desire in high school to watch late night infomercials and yeah. scrimp and save and invest and study, um, that is special. Like that is not, I say, it's not normal. I don't mean in a disparaging way, like you're abnormal, yeah. like you're a freak. I mean, it's yeah. not your everyday behavior of a, of a teenage guy. And, and I think, you know, yeah. that, that is
1: incredible. Um Certainly what, not then too. Maybe it's a little bit more prevalent now because of the advent of social media. Cause now yeah. people go, they see me fly on my jet and a 16 year old guy's like, well, to get that jet, I should do what he does. There was none of that then. Right. So Every human being though, brother, has a desire to be somebody. Every human being has a desire to grow. Like you know this, but we're constantly remaking ourselves cellularly all the time. Our digestive tract about every six months is remaking itself. Our lung tissue remakes itself every year, right? So we are literally transforming and becoming a new person uh, internally cellular on a very regular basis. So that should be happening in our mind. We should be renewing our minds all the time. Humans have this calling. And the thing that I try to do is create a space where it's like, hey, you don't have to be a superstar. I'm an average, ordinary dude. If you met me, just so I want everyone to know this, people that meet me in person, because I'm 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 a fit dude, but when they meet me in person, like I thought you'd be bigger. You know, I'm five eleven. I'm not a I'm not six foot four. I have a very average IQ. My family and I just did this again. Four of, there's four in my family. I have the low IQ in my own house, right. <laughs> In my own house. And I don't say that as a, I'm not stupid. I'm not saying that, but I'm not particularly bright. I can't, I'm not mechanical. I can't put things together. I've never fixed a light bulb in my life. I can't explain to you how electricity works. I have no idea why right now we can talk on this little screen in my computer and it somehow worked. I don't know all that stuff. What I did is I got good at a few things. And I think that's what most people don't. I got good at a few things, man. I'm really, really good at like five or six things. And those five or six things have made me blissful, happy, fulfilled, and rich. And I identified what those things were, and I got better and better at them. So um, what was your first business? A financial company. Well, no, no, no. My first business was when I was 14. I sold sodas and candy bars at the golf course. I had my own little business. Then I had an auto-tape detailing business. Then I had a baseball card business. So as a kid, I was an entrepreneur. I made some real money doing that. But my first business where I made real big money was a financial company where we recruited and developed agents in a financial services system. And that was funny because I had no background in that. I'm terrible at math. I don't like financial services, but I liked the recruiting and developing of people part. And that helped me.
0: I, I really wanna come back to the recruitment and development of people. Cause that's something that's like, I don't think enough people talk about in the growing and scaling of businesses. Before we do that though, you said, there's a few things that you're really good at, maybe four or five things that you've mastered. Mm-hmm. What, what are
1: they? And they're all born out of um, things that you think were horrible things in my life. So this notion that we all say that things are always happening for us and not to us, like I believe that, everything's happened for me. One of the things though in my childhood is my dad was an alcoholic. He got sober, became my best friend, but when I lived there, my dad was an alcoholic. So from the time I was like four years old, little boy, I had to determine when my dad walked through the front door, if he did come home that night, which dad was I getting? Drunk, maybe frustrated, pissed off dad where I want to avoid him or happy dad who wants to play catch. What am I telling you? My number one skill is my ability to read people. Yes. To be present and read human beings. I started doing that at three, four years old. I knew by how the key sounded in the lock at the front door, which dad was coming through. Whereas most people are so worried about what everybody's thinking about them. They can never be present with people. So I can read people well. The other thing is I had to learn to sort of communicate my dad out of these states he was in. So I developed the ability to communicate. And I I will say without bragging, because I've already admitted I don't do a lot of things very well. I am a good communicator. From the stage, from one-on-one, in a podcast, I can articulate my thoughts. God gave me a good voice for that, too, of a deep voice. And I, the thing I do is I transfer energy well. I'm very good at transferring emotion. I feel emotions very deeply as a man because I was had so many of them as a child. So I feel things deeply, and I can make other people feel things deeply as a result of it. I transfer emotion and energy really, really well. Uh, a fourth thing I'm really good at is I'm a good man. I give myself credit for being good. I care about people. I want to make a difference. I want to help. Not enough people listening to this go, I don't know what I'm good at. What if it's just your intentions? What if it's your intent? You know how awesome it is to be a person of good intent? I met Wayne Dyer when I was very young too. Another blessing, if you guys all know who Wayne Dyer is. He was writing a book called The Power of Intention when I met him. And it transformed my life because I kept telling him I'm not special. You know the things I was saying earlier. He goes, "Well, I can tell I'm sitting with a young man who would love to change the world. I'm sitting with a young man who would give you the shirt off his back, and your intentions are good, Ed Milet, and that's going to serve you very well in your life." So I always remind myself even before I get on this podcast, I'm I'm just intending to serve. I want to make a difference, and then I think the last thing I would just add to it, I'm a super intense dude. <laughs> My intensity is a gift. I uh, when I hit the gym, you know, I want to I want to smash some things. When I get into business. I wanna dominate you. I'm a nice dude. I'm a really nice dude. I wanna bring everybody with me, but I ain't here to play third, second, not even close. I wanna be first, and I wanna lap you. So I'm a competitive dude. I'm one of those people like a lot of you. I don't talk a real big game, but you probably don't wanna monkey with me. And if you mess with my family, you mess with my family, you don't need to worry about what you're having tomorrow morning for breakfast, cause you won't be there, right? And that sort of stuff for me, that that's my stuff. The rest of it, I'm okay at
0: fascinating fascinating and I think maybe that's a question I should ask more on this podcast because I think I can interview a hundred different people and I'll get a hundred different answers
1: and by the way if they're successful they know the answer and if they're unsuccessful they don't the key to life uh, well not the key a key to life is figuring out the two or three or four gifts that you've been blessed with and then using those gifts in the service of other people you will not work a day in your life you will be happy and blissful an unhappy person doesn't know what they're good at doesn't know their gifts or has them, but isn't using them most of the time. They're in a career or a relationship where they spend most of their time not utilizing the things they are naturally good at. And these gifts you have, you discount for most of us. We go, okay, well, Beyonce has got a natural gift, right? That's a natural gift or the best cricket player in the world or LeBron James that's got, but I'm just, what am I? Well, what if it's your kindness, your humor, your intellect, your nurturing ability, your listening skills, your intention, your math skills, your your, your physical beauty, your humor, your problem solving capacity, your ability to be patient, your ability to be present with people, right? Your smile, your touch, your voice, the, you've got them. All of us do. And none of them are more special than others. So if I took these same gifts I have, and I tried to be an NBA basketball player with them, I'd be a miserable person. I picked a career where I talk. I picked a career where I sell, where I close, where I persuade. And I got one other little thing. I want to be better. So I'll give you a formula that I believe in. I've got to, and I'm, I'm, I should be writing this down, but I believe successful people have a very unique combination. Unbelievable confidence combined with humility. And it's such a difficult road to toe between confidence and humility. Typically, super confident people drift into ego where they don't have the humility to get better and to listen, and then very humble people with a lot of humility typically lack self-confidence. But if you can nuance those two things, man, you're a force in the world. And my favorite people have both those things.
0: Love that. Love that. And I agree completely. It, it segues nicely, actually, into something you said a few minutes ago, and I wanted to jump back to it, which is the importance of recruiting and developing people. Mm-hmm. How important is that in growing business? And like, I'd like to dive into some of the tactics you've used to do that most effectively.
1: So it's the key to me having any financial success is my ability to build teams. I'm a team-made millionaire. I, uh, I believe in the combination, the mosaic of gifts is what makes businesses successful. So because I am so in tune with what my few gifts are, I'm really good at identifying them in other people. Really good. Because I'm present, like I said. So. Uh, everything that I have in my life is because I have had enough humility to go, she is better than that than me. That's your gift. That's your space. And I'm about to hold you accountable. I'll even Jesus rebuked the apostles even, right? I'll rebuke you if you make mistakes, but I give you the space where, you know, I believe in you. And I let people with their natural giftedness lead. And I don't, I used to make the mistake, Nick, of everybody I surrounded myself was like me because we like people like us. So if you looked at my first few companies, you go, wow, all of them are males. All of them are former athletes, military cops, super intense, jump up and down, screaming intense dudes. And we were lacking all of the other beautiful gifts in the world to build our companies. People with patience, people who were meticulous with technology, all these other things that I'm terrible at doing. And so it's been the key for me and all my businesses. Listen, look at anything that wins. They have the best players. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> they have the best players. Steve Jobs was no dummy. I've watched the acts of buddy of mine. I've got to know Woz pretty well. Okay. He's completely opposite human being of, of Steve Jobs. He's kind. He's sweet. He's most people don't know this. Steve gave away billions and billions and billions of dollars of his stock in Apple because he thought the secretaries there and the people that work deserved it. And he's also on the flip side, a savant. He was brilliant at that stage of technology at developing the technology and the boards and the different things they did. Jobs had none of those. He wasn't kind, he wasn't generous. He, he, he was terrible at technology. What was he? A driver, a visionary, intense, difficult, demanding, hardworking as heck, wanted to be rich, right? Like their combined skill set is what launched the most influential company probably of all time. It wasn't that they were, imagine if there were two Steve Jobs, they'd never gotten anywhere, right? So it was the key to that company has been the key to my companies. Sure.
0: Um, And what do you think, I think a lot of people people listening to this will be at different stages of their business journey. Some will be just starting out, others maybe have built a, a business that pays their way and, you know, generates full-time income. Others are maybe at that scale stage. So, like, you know, for me personally, we're a multi-seven-figure business. We've got 21 full-time employees in our company. And, like, I don't know what the next bit looks like. I don't – like, in my mind, I'm trying to work out what it looks like at 50 employees or 100 employees. Um, And that excites me, but I also don't know what I don't know. So, like, just talk me through – the differences between maybe a six-figure business, a seven-figure business, an eight-figure business, a nine-figure business? like What do you see as the differences in those phases of growth?
1: Well, um, these are one of the best interviews I've ever been asked, by the way, these series of questions, just so you know. Um, I'd like a copy of this. It's, it's that good. But let me, um, let me say that here's a biggie. I'll give you a concept first. For you to go from a seven to an eight-figure business or an eight to a nine-figure business, it's you, your ability to drop the fear that you're gonna lose the one you have. And so what really holds us back is that. So the reason you got from zero to well, a seven-
0: I'm laughing because yeah. I needed to hear that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so once you drop that fear, a lot of the possibilities, a lot of the opportunities begin to reveal themselves to us. But here's this: the truth, it's human nature. When we're busted broke, it's not, you get the zero to seven figures, you're like, I have nothing to lose, I'll take a risk, I'll put myself in this uncomfortable situation. I'll throw this long ball, hopeful home run shot, hail Mary or whatever, right? Then when you get to the seven figure business, it's like, okay, so how do I get from here without leaving? How do I get to the next place without having to risk where I am? Yeah. So I want to get to second base, but I'm not willing to take my foot off first. <laughs> and so as a constant, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the truth is that's why most people never get to that next real big level because you just go, hey man, <laughs> this took so much work. It's aged me, I'm probably gonna die a few years sooner just getting here in the first place. You know, it's not that bad anymore. And so Malcolm X had this great quote that said, that which you do not hate, you will eventually tolerate. And you gotta get to that point where you hate where you are, not just you're caught up in the vision of where you're going, but you're also willing to almost hate where you are so much that you won't tolerate it. And for me, I just built that muscle up that I'll be okay. And, and it's this idea that you don't have to know every single step. It's putting yourself into the next room. As you know, you got where you are by stepping into spaces constantly. You were ill prepared for doesn't mean you weren't getting training and growing, but you put yourself into a space where I don't know every answer here. I'm going to figure it out when I get in that room. Then I'm going to figure it out when I get in that room. Apple started as a, a board company. They build boards They had no concept in the beginning, the vision of we're gonna have iPads and phones and Macs. They didn't know any of that stuff in the beginning. Henry Ford built Ford Motor Company. What if he would have thought through, hey, who's gonna fix these freaking cars? There's no mechanics because there's been no cars. Who's gonna sell these cars? There's no car dealerships because there's never been a car really before, right? So you the, the room begins to reveal itself to you as you step into that space. It's your willingness to go into that space and take the risk that you may fall on your ass again. And when you have a little bit of success, whatever you call it, your ability to deal with the complete falling on your face thing is more and more difficult. For me, I've just accepted like, here's the truth, man. I'm probably going to fall on my face, but my, my the where I want to get in my life, who I want to be, who I want to reach, what I want to do, is far more important to me than holding on to this little life I've got right now that I keep telling myself is so great.
0: Thank you. That was, <laughs> that was special. Um, and by the way, I, like these questions, I decided what are the questions that I want to get the answer. Yeah, right. That's what
1: I do on my show too. I I'm like, look, I, yeah. like.
0: If I'm going to get an hour here or whatever we got, I'm going, I'm going to get as much out of this as I can. And I'm sure it's going to be highly valuable to our listeners as well. Um, but thank you for that. That was epic for me personally. Um, I mentioned in at the very start, um, and this is a big deal. You are the fastest growing business personality in the history of social media. And by the way, there are a lot of people, business personalities that have grown huge audiences on various different social platforms. So, um, first of all, what made you get in? Cause I think from my previous conversations, you were relatively late to the party, I guess. Very late. So what made you get in?
1: Um, so I was very late to the party. Didn't want to do it. I used to, I was a speaker for years, but the cool thing about when I spoke, people would bring me in cause I didn't sell. So I'd come speak and leave. And then I was like anonymous. They're like, who was that guy? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But I like that. Um, Two things made me get in. Uh, One was I did reach the conclusion we talked about earlier. Like I'm a product of mentors, man. Like I'm not going to name drop, but I've had lots of amazing mentors in my life. And I got there with this. And what a shame it would be to come, you know, at that time was like 45 years old, 45 years with a diversity of experience. So I've had a big personal growth journey. I've built multiple businesses in different sectors. I've had the blessing of getting to know people in the top leaders in the tech space in the sports area in politics in entertainment that have all fed my experience level and what I am good at doing because I am present is I know what I did I think there's a lot of people Nick who can't explain to you how they became successful I think Mm -hmm. if you literally said how did it happen they're just they're just making it up they're not really sure I took notes I paid attention and so because of that I felt like I've done this. I could go another 20 years and just keep doing my thing. But I think my calling is to reach people. And then, you know, in sharing that, Tony said to me, "We're not. Tony and I are friends. We're not the best friends, but we're friends. He's like, bro, this is why this is what you're supposed to be doing. There's nobody like you in the space with your experience, your ability to communicate and your heart to serve people like do it. And it again, it was this other it was this fear I said to you earlier It was like, well, what if I suck at it? What if no one wants to hear my crap? I'm a big deal. You know, like, what if I get three likes a video with no one ever follows me? And he's like, yeah, they'll follow you. Don't worry and do it. And it took a while. But for me, it's just, and, and what it's also does, it's forced me to grow. If you'd have told me that I'd spend as much time, because you know what this is like, creating content as I do, as much time as I spend making Instagram videos, doing my podcast, doing YouTube, I'd have thought you were absolutely out of your mind that I would dedicate this much time to it. But when I look back on a given week, I might spend 70 hours on this and I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like it's my calling. Like God made this little boy to have an abusive family and be insecure and fall in love with personal development and then work at an orphanage and then grow businesses and play sports and to, you know, maybe now I'm where I'm supposed to be all my life. I just feel like that most of the time. And so it's been a, it's a blessing. I know what it's like, bro. Like a lot of people listen to this and i don't forget it i know what it's like to walk into a room and no one knows me and no one gives a crap what i have to say and now i know what it's like where i can you know oftentimes not even go out because i get so approached with people wanting to let me know how something's impacted them and so i know what both and i'm i'm really really grateful for it and then the last little piece i've been around, around enough well known people the last 25 years that i've watched the ones that treat people amazingly well that are grateful that have that humility and then I've watched the ones where it's like, oh, man, here they come. They're going to bother me. And I'm like, yeah, well, don't forget, there was a bunch part of your life where no one wanted to come talk to you. Yes. And so I'm really loaded with gratitude that anybody who wants to hear anything I have to say most of the time. And I, I remind myself of that often.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great attitude to have and, and one that I've got massive respect for,
1: for sure. Because So do you. Um, you have it too.
0: Well, and I know from we've both been in this industry uh, fairly Long time, and I know not everybody in the industry, yeah. You know
1: the difference. We both know has,
0: has that about them. So I, I suppose, uh, as I said, you were quite late getting into mm-hmm. coming to the party when it comes to social media and being a, a content creator, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what are your thoughts about if someone's listening to this and they've got this this nagging in their back in the back of their brain, their mind that this i feel like i've got a message i feel like i've got a calling i feel like i've got something that's going to add value to the world but it's too late for me to get into instagram yeah. and the, the the ship sailed and facebook and um, I don't know if you've done anything yet with Clubhouse. That's relatively new of course. And but what what advice would you give to someone who's in that place?
1: Yeah, TikTok, Clubhouse are all new. I I'm, I'm not doing Clubhouse just because I'm trying to keep some proximity away from me so that they go to the other places, but I certainly understand the power of it and yeah. just a couple of us have just decided not not the time for me to be on there. There's TikTok, there's other platforms. By the way, first off you're right. Is it easier to get early on in an app than it is later? Yes. But I got in really late. The Gary V's, the Tony Robbins, the Grant Cardone's, the Tom Bilyeu's, the Trent Shelton's, all of these dudes were years and years ahead of me. What I did, first of all, I would just say to everybody that, and by the way, the other part of people go, well, also, what do I have to say? I'm a mom, you know, or, you know, I'm not making millions of dollars. Who wants to listen to me? Here's what I did in the beginning that got me a lot of attention. That's different than creating content. I documented my life. I let people into my real life document more than create, you know, you showing you getting your kids ready for school every day and how stressful that is, and you getting them off to school and then putting on your superwoman or Superman cape and doing your business for a while. And you documenting the day where you're in tears and you're down because you lost an account. And then three days later, you've come back and closed one becomes compelling for people. And so you're more interesting than you might think. Some of my dearest friends here in the United States have become reality TV stars. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Orange County. I don't know if they have those kind of shows where you are. But over here, these are huge shows. Think about the singing shows and the voice. People nowadays are more connected to average, ordinary, everyday people and rooting for them in their journey than they are of just following the journey of the most famous person in the world. And so document your life. That's the next that's the thing I would tell you. And then I was talking to a young lady yesterday. I just share this with all of you who was I won't say who she is, but she's become a friend of mine. And she was a little bit suicidal yesterday. And uh, she has this tendency to get to that level of depression. She lives at home with her mom and dad. She's, she doesn't feel like she's winning yet. And I shared a story with her where she made a TikTok video about talking about a previous time where she had gone through a bout of this. And I let her know that my daughter had shared that with a friend of hers and it saved her life. It saved my daughter's friend's life in a very dark time. And, I, and she, I said, so I don't know what you base success on, but you're saving lives with what you do. And so maybe you're not a multimillionaire yet, but what you're creating, what you're putting out there, if one person sees it, it makes an impact on them, saves their life, changes their life, makes them think differently, gives them hope. Um, you'd be amazed at what that could do. So don't shortchange yourself into thinking you don't have a value or space out there. This is a whole new world. And then I would also say, you know, find your niche. Maybe you're a writer and not a, a visual creator, write a blog, you know, have something like that. Um, But put yourself out there, take some risks. You know, I also did a lot of work initially, Nick, on getting on a lot of mid to small size podcasts so people could just take exposure to me. So it's getting yourself out there. And and I think everybody has a chance to have value. But the truth is, hey, the truth is it's got to be good. It better be good documentation or good content or no one's going to want to watch it. And the other thing is it's got to be consistent and regular. You can't do this every three or four days. You got to throw a camera up. You got to take some pictures. You got to put some work at it if you're going to do it.
0: Which platform did you start with?
1: I, get, well, I really finally got, I had a Twitter account that I did nothing with. For me, it was the combo. I went right into Instagram and iTunes. I went right into having a podcast, longer form content, and then iTunes, uh, excuse me, and then Instagram. And for me still, I think Instagram, and believe it or not, I still think Facebook is a viable platform because of the ability now on both those platforms for things to be shared. And shared content is is super, super, can get super, super viral. Um, I am dabbling on TikTok. Uh, that's becoming a platform that's not just for kids. It's not just get dance videos anymore. Clubhouse could be a game changer. It could be. It's a lot of access to people with content without having to pay for it, though. <clears throat> and there's a danger to that. I know people go, well, I, do is I give them a little taste in there, and then I send them my paid stuff. I get that. But there's something to being, at my point now, of being a little bit more mysterious or difficult to get to than just, hey, I can tune in and talk to Ed Milet whenever I want. Just because of the, the scarcity creates value in this yeah. case. In the beginning, when you're new, scarcity doesn't create value. Content, 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 content. clubhouse, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, put it out there. Now, for me, at this stage, it's a little bit more of scarcity.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, you mentioned your podcast, which I've, I've listened to a lot. Um, it's one of the podcasts that whenever I whenever I book a speaker for our events, I normally start to really listen to the podcast. And it's, yeah. it's probably one of very few that I've really continued listening you. to. You've had some amazing guests, um, some of whom have been speakers at our events. Yeah. Who's been your favorite guest of all time? <laughs>
1: That's impossible. Uh, that's not I know. fair. A lot. I'm
0: here to ask the difficult questions. All right.
1: I know. I'll tell you the one that made the biggest impact on me. And it was, I reached out to her. The cool thing about having the podcast be big now is I don't have to reach out. We got lots of solicitations yeah. to come on, which is great. Cause the first two or three years you're trying to get people on, you know, And now it's like everybody wants to be on. Cause it gets a lot of audio downloads it does go okay on YouTube, but really good on audio. Um, I had a lady on, named Kayla Stockline that I pursued because I knew her husband. And so she had 2000 Instagram followers, but she, uh, her husband was a pastor of a church. They had three boys under six years old and um, he died by suicide in their church on a Saturday. And uh, it, it was pretty recent. And I just said, this suicide's going up, depression's going up. Can we come on and have a, a a loving conversation about what emotions you're going through as a, as a mother and a wife after losing this person. And that show uh, made a huge, huge impact on literally millions of people that were contemplating these terrible things. And then to see what it did to these boys and this woman afterwards, I think made people rethink the pain they would cause other people if they did it. So she's probably had the least amount of followers and was the least well-known person ever to be on my show but I would say to me, if you said the one you're the most proud of, it would probably be that one, because I'm not exaggerating, Nick. We've received probably 10,000 messages and then uh, about people who said they were thinking about doing that and aren't now. So that one was was a biggie. And then I've had people read had I did one on bullying. And then the bully reached out to the person on my show and said, I'm sorry, from 30 years ago. And they're doing a Netflix special on it. Wow. I had the guy who killed Osama Bin Laden on. Won the He did Howard Stern and then my show. So there's been a lot of them. That's impossible. You know, I've had all the famous people on that you would want to have on, but Kayla Stockline probably stands out as the biggest impact.
0: Yeah. What, what's amazing is, of course, you have had all these famous people on. And because you've built the platform, because you've right. built the audience, you're able to have – impact in whichever way you want. You don't have to have big celebrities to get people to pay attention. You've already built the attention. And it, it means that you've now got a platform that you can use as a force for good in whatever direction you choose to do, which I think that's, that's incredibly inspiring. And um, I just
1: want to say something about that. And that's why everybody needs to do it. Get, Joe Rogan and I were just talking about this. Like in the beginning, I had to get all these well-known people on, I thought, to grow the audience. And it's really beautiful now to go, you know, no, I would just like you said earlier, I'm going to have you on and I'm going to talk to you for me. And then my audience gets to listen to it. And um, that's why you want to build whatever your platform is, everybody, whatever your voice is, because it's the impact you'll make. If you're doing it to become well-known, trust me, you don't even want that once you get it. So it's got to be that you want to make a specific change in the world that you can contribute to.
0: You mentioned earlier that you've you've been fortunate to have a lot of mentors throughout your life who, who are who's the mentor or who are the mentors that stand out most that have had the biggest impact on you
1: uh, my dad was my biggest one because I watched my dad get sober when I was 14 so I literally watched a human completely transform yeah. and become a dude who's really not living a very good life to living a, my dad my dad helped thousands of people get sober so my father by a mile and I'm not just saying that because he's my dad but I've had mentors you know um There are people that have been around me that have built big businesses. So, you know, uh, uh, Phil Knight, uh, Jerry West. um, um, There's just uh, Tim Cook who runs Apple's a neighbor of mine. There's just people like that that have had a really significant impact on me. Different coaches that I've worked with. Many of the athletes I coach have made an impact on me as well. I think of boxer Mikey Garcia or UFC fighter and Dominic Cruz. They're just guys that I admire their toughness and their grit. And so, there's been people like that. Tony Robbins has been a difference for me uh, in my life. There's been just a lot. I, I've been able to weave a lot of different people into my, into my life that, you know, have made a huge difference for me just in different areas. And even, you know, when I got to meet Cardone, Grant and I are very different people, but I, Grant, Grant's work ethic wowed me, wowed me. And I remember thinking to myself, I work hard, but man, like there's a level here. And so there's just different people, little pieces and stuff, but I've been really blessed that a lot of these people, you know, uh, there's just been a bunch that have run really, really big businesses and companies that have have made an impact on me for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, we all talk about the importance of mentors and surrounding yourself with people who are playing a bigger game. You mentioned Grant and, you know, every time I speak with Grant, I just go, man, I am playing such a small game. Yeah. And, and, And I think, you know, and that's not, reflection on him or me it's just putting yourself around anybody who's doing things that you aspire to do is only going to have a a positive impact I think
1: no doubt man there's i've met so many wonderful people in the space that just bring different things in his case it's his drive it's his ambition it's it's uh he wants to be somebody more than almost anybody that i know and he's willing to work for it i admire that about him a great deal but there's just a ton of great people, man. I, I I don't even like naming them because there's been so many of them, and a lot of them on my show. You've seen them on my show. I mean, A Rod, Alex Rodriguez, and Jennifer Lopez. Just the way that they both are so still driven at their level of success already. And Alex's case, how if you guys follow baseball in the UK, is one of the greatest baseball players ever. Then there was some controversy, and then he's turned his life back from this. He was sort of a villain for a while in society, and now he's a hero again. And he's a popular broadcaster and very successful real estate guy, and a really good uh, fiance and dad. And so, you know, guys like that just, I'm like, wow, it's impressive, man.
0: But I think everyone loves a comeback, right? Yep. Like, I mean, look, we're both big Golf fans. We, I don't think we're ever going to see a comeback like Tiger Woods. Like, it was like, the greatest victory in the sport, I think, we'll ever see, because he came back from. This guy is so far away yeah. from the top; he's never going to win again.
1: Yeah, course, I uh, cried. I cried when he won the Masters. I cried. I did. I did. Yeah, I'm I cried. sitting there watching. My wife is going, "What on earth is wrong with you?" I know. so was mine, and you know. And of course, they also know some of his dirty boy stuff too. So they're like, "Why do you even like this guy?" You know. And um, but I, I had seen Tiger at the President's Cup. Uh, he was a coach, couldn't even play. And I watched him just this is two years before it took him about four minutes. No joke to get out of the golf cart, to walk, to watch some of the golf being played and to think from that. I watched him labor to get out and in of a golf cart to then even playing golf to then playing professional golf to then winning a tournament, to then winning the Masters? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, and everyone's going, well, now that he's broke his legs, now he's really done. I don't know. I'm not totally sure of that. All I know is, a bit like you
0: mentioned with Grant, the hunger, the desire, the fire, when everyone says he's done, will be greater than ever. And regardless
1: of what happens next. If this dude wins again, it's like Tom Brady in football. It's like, are you kidding me? You switch teams they had a losing record last year, and you go win the freaking Super Bowl and dominate the Super Bowl. Are you freaking kidding me? It's just unbelievable. So that stuff just inspires me.
0: Yeah, and, and I think um, also not that long ago there was there was footage of him and his son playing in. They had some kind of like family tournament. Him and his son playing, and he yeah. and and I think he he gave an interview afterwards, and he's like that tops any. Mm. major tournament any success i've had in my career that experience and i think that was as as a dad um you know and of course you play golf with your son i play golf with mine it's you know that that was that was really special and also a real reminder that whilst you know look let's face it i am we are chasing the you know we are trying to push ourselves and do bigger and better and make a bigger impact and and i think sometimes it's good to have that reminder that there's there's, um, there's a lot of things that are,
1: that are important. Well, me, maybe, maybe we even, re- we'll get cl- We're almost done, but I want to share the story. You, if you give me time on that, just because th- that happened to me, I was with Kobe Bryant a week before he died. Wow. And you talk about, you know, I know basketball is not as big over there, but Kobe Bryant is, is a yeah. legend and, and uh, our daughters play volleyball together. So, and I, and he taught me something. And again, it had nothing to do with sports, we're at the gym and volleyball tournaments are crazy. Like they're just all day long. They're noisy. They're just, yeah, right? And so at the end, it started at 8 a.m. It's 10 o'clock at night. There's one match left. Happens to be our team. There's three dads left in the whole gym after a thousand dudes. It's me, another dude, and Kobe Bryant. The match ends. I'm over at the end of the court with my daughter. I watched Kobe with his family. No joke. I'm not kidding you. I'm not saying it because he passed away. I'm telling you the truth. He had his baby in his right arm and he was rubbing the back of his daughter who played and hugging her and being very affectionate with her. And it made me think, Do I hug Bella enough? Am I physically affectionate enough with her? And so for some reason, even though we've been in the gym together a hundred times, I watched him that day, Nick. I watched him walk out of the gym. He had a black Mamba sweatshirt on, black sweatpants on, baby in his right arm, arm around his daughter. And I watched him walk out of the gym that day. And I just can't help but think like, what if someone would have whispered to Kobe that day? Kobe, you have six days left to live. He'd have thought you were crazy. And what if on Monday people said, Kobe, five more days. Or that Saturday, Kobe, one day left. One day, brother. He'd have thought you were crazy, right? The truth is we don't know how many days left we have. We don't know. I promise you when Kobe walked out of that gym with his baby in his arm, he didn't think it was one week. And I made an impact on me watching how effective he was affectionate with his daughter. And also me not being crazy enough to think I have 50 years, I might have 50 years, but I might have five days. I don't know. And all of us don't know. That's why we got to get after our lives and take some risks and put ourselves out there. Stop acting like you're going to live forever. Right. Start acting like you're going to live for today. And that was a big lesson for me with Kobe since we're talking athletes.
0: Yeah. That, that's an incredible story. And, and, um, Very impactful. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know we're tight on time. I have two more questions. They're really quick. The first one is what's next for Ed Milet? You've achieved so much. What's your vision? Where do you see yourself in 10 years time, 20 years time?
1: Well, in one year's time, my book will be out. I'm writing another book called The The Life-Changing Power of One More. And I believe it'll be a revolutionary book in personal development because it's not just thinking, grow rich. It's doing and thinking. There's never been a book written about it's something you can simultaneously think and do. I'm in the middle of writing that right now. I'm very, very, very excited about it. I actually believe it's finally a book in personal development. It's not sort of a regurgitation of other people's books. You know, Every single thing is sort of think and grow rich, spread out. And so um, that's coming out. And then for me, it's just finding a way to take my platform where I can elevate the future of personal development, not me, So I'm going to be 50 years old this year. I want to take the next 10 years and identify. I want to be a kingmaker, not necessarily the king. And so I want to find the kings and queens that are going to carry on the legacy of helping human beings live optimum and blissful lives. And I'm willing to lead that for a while, but I want to find those people. And that probably looks a little bit, brother, more like um, maybe some stuff I'm going to do on Netflix, um, maybe a, a show that is not just my podcast, but if you're subscribed to my podcast, you'll know about it. Um, and just expand the reach of the message that, that you can change your life, that you can be happier, that you can have the things you want in your life. And that average, ordinary people are doing it every single day, but they know stuff you don't know. And they're doing things you're not doing. And they're thinking things you're not thinking. And I know what they are. And if I don't, I'll introduce you to the other people who have the answers. And so that's where the future is. But number one thing I'm kind of excited about is this book I'm doing.
0: Amazing. So, um, by the way, if you listen to this, please subscribe to the Ed Let Show. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Um, It's absolutely amazing. And then you'll keep up to date with everything that Ed's doing, with the book, with all the other projects he's working on. The last question, because I know my audience wants to know this, Ed, when are we going to get you back to the UK? It nearly happened in 2020. When are we going to get you back to the UK? So
1: when you invite me, because I want to come o- over there, it was a really a dream to go over. And I had a, several engagements. The number one one I wanted to do because I got to know you was yours. So if it's this summer, I'll come over. If COVID allows that to be the case, I've got a plane now that can fly there from here without stopping. And so it's not difficult for me to get there. I want to be in the UK. Um, I feel really strongly I'm supposed to go over there. And so... It's something that I'm really passionate about. I want to I wanna be there, and I want to stay a while. So I wouldn't be surprised that when I come over that I don't stay about a month and do a bunch of stuff there, and I think I'm going to bring my kids with me just to have the experience of living there um, for a month in different, different spots. Plus, I'm going to shoot over to Scotland and Ireland and play a little golf too. So there's a couple places over yes. there I want to play through, but I'm bringing my sticks with me. <laughs> so I would we'll love have. to be there. It would be an honor to be with all of you, and, and, and particularly just to see you, Nick, and have dinner finally in person.
0: Yeah, I'd love that, I'd love that, and uh, maybe a game of golf as well. You have to, you have to, uh, you have to give me a few shots and give me a chance, I think. But uh,
1: I doubt that. But we can play for sure.
0: Sweet. So uh, listen, um, thank you. I'm really excited to get you over to the UK. Finally, let us know when that's happening. Um, the, the The invitation is open okay. and will always be. We'd love to as soon as we're able to do a live in person event again at the size that it will be with you headlining, of course, it's not going to be an insignificant audience, um, we'll be doing it. So really excited about finally making that happen. It will be oh, worth the wait. Thank you so you much for your us. time here. Really appreciate it. This has been, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I have never said this before. This has been the greatest interview I've ever done thank you brother I'm I not exaggerating it. it's been you're that so good. At this.
1: you're so good at this and I've done lots like you're the real deal so thank you for that
0: thank you it means a lot and, and I'm excited to share this now of course I've recorded it I'm excited to get it out on the Empire Builders podcast and out on all, all of our other platforms so Ed Milet thanks so much for joining us you are an incredible man and Empire Builder and uh, look forward to seeing you
1: here in the UK soon God bless everybody